Today's episode of 10 Questions is supported by HelloFresh. HelloFresh creates healthy and tasty recipes and supplies all the ingredients needed to make delicious meals with a free delivery to your doorstep once a week. Ingredients are fresh and sourced from local Australian farmers and fisheries and meals take about 30 to 40 minutes to prepare. They have three main boxes, the classic box, the vegetarian box, and the new family box. If you're in Australia, use the code QUESTIONS40, that's QUESTIONS40, and HelloFresh will give you a $40 discount on your first order of a meal box. That's pretty good. Get on board by going to hellofresh.com.au and punch in the code QUESTIONS40. We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two, all engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Welcome to another 10 Questions. Today I'm interviewing a woman who was on the final season of Agony and after that season screened, so many people came up to me and said not just how much they loved her, but I think what she thinks. But more about her in a second. I want to bring your attention to the fact that we're doing a special one-off performance of Agony Live in Melbourne at the Yarraville Club on December 12. It stars Lawrence Mooney, Celia Picola, Sam Pang and Michelle Laurie and tickets are on sale at yarravillelaughs.com. Alright, today's guest is the advertising guru turned election campaign mastermind turned celebrated author turned go-to TV panellist Dee Madigan. She's been in advertising for more than 20 years working on some of the biggest brands in the world. Then a TV show called The Gruen Transfer gave her a platform to become a TV star. She now has her own company Campaign Edge and she ran the advertising and marketing strategy for Queensland Labor in their recent election triumph. She's smart, funny, and wears her Irish Catholic upbringing on the sleeve, which always freaks out CFV boys like me. But here we go. As usual, I asked when she was most happy. Uh, the year my first son was born, and um, I had been working for a very long time. I was sort of 35, and, and it had taken me a little time to fall pregnant, and I really enjoyed being pregnant. But when I was about eight months pregnant, the work I'd been at for over 10 years said, you know, we're doing some redundancies. There's a voluntary one here if you want it and held up a big fat check. It was like, hell yeah. Oh, wow. So so I got to sort of have, you know, time off with no money worries and I really enjoyed um I really enjoyed motherhood much more than I kind of thought I would. I had such a ball. I'd made a couple of really good friends in birthing class. And we basically spent every day, all day together, just hanging out at the park or at the gym with the babies and it was it was just the best year. When did you kind of haul yourself back to work? When he was about eight months old, I, I didn't have to, but I did start to sort of get, you know, a little bit, you know, some things would come through and you think, oh, well, I could do that and I could do that and gradually sort of started doing bits and pieces, but I was still only sort of three days a week, really, and then I had the we had the next two children. I took six days off after the last one. It's funny how it changes. My God. <laughs> I know. I just took her with me, though, because babies, I don't find them particularly hard. Yeah. And I was in the middle of a tampon shoot and I needed to go to the edit. And it was just fine. I'll be right. <laughs> yeah. Um, question two, who would you like to apologise to and why? Probably Nikki Hicks because I just made fun of her all through school for no other reason in that she was just, she had a normal name, you know, Nikki. I had a weird Irish name, which is Deirdre, which is just terrible, unless you pronounce it with an Irish accent, which no one does because in Australia they go, Deirdre? Yeah. Um, and, and, and she was, you know, 
average, you know, because when you're sort of a bright kid, that almost works against you. When when you are tall, skinny with a weird name, you know, and you're smart, it's kind of like, you know, all these ticks against you in school and yeah. she was just so normal. So I was kind of mean to her for no other reason, but she was just really average. <laughs> what did you make, <laughs> make fun of her name? No, I just kind of was always just vaguely acerbic to her. <laughs> she probably didn't deserve it. She's probably a perfectly nice person, but I was just, I don't know. I just had this thing about her. Big shout Horrible. out to her. I hope she's okay. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure she is. You know, she... her name's Nikki and she's blonde. She'll have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> Do you sometimes think that when they're looking at you on television, they go, oh, that's that girl, the girl who used to give me <laughs> shit? No, I don't know. I don't know. You do get some people. Yeah, you get some weird, um, some weird emails from people you knew once, kind of thing. Well, I had one from a guy who dumped me when I was a teenager. He said, "Oh, I just wanted to really, really apologize." I saw you on TV. I want to really apologize for you know dumping you. I was like, "Yeah, look, it's okay. I'm fine." How fantastic! As he obviously just brought up brought up all these emotions when he saw you. Yeah, well, exactly, and he sort of said I had a lot going on, and part of me wanted to sort of get email back. Oh, just why? And then I thought, you know what? I sort of don't care. Yeah, yeah. Question three: What is your greatest regret? Look, I don't have you know a great, great regret because I just refuse to. You know, there's plenty of things I, I would have done differently, but I just I just think regrets one of those those sad emotions that just pulls you back. The what ifs, what ifs, because you start thinking about parallel lives. So it's just one of those things. You know, what happened has happened, and you you deal with it and move on. That's pure Dean Madigan, pragmatic and strong-minded. But then she started talking about her extraordinary career and whether she ever looks back on it and wonders how she got to where she is. Oh my God, totally. Yeah, sometimes I, I literally do think that I am the luckiest person in the world to sort of get where I am and, and to do what I am and stuff. And you just think there's a whole lot of serendipitous reasons why, you know, that I, you know, chose to work in a certain bar where advertising people happen to drink, you know, just really random things. Just quickly, Dee started off as a teacher, then decided drunks were easier to control than kids. So she left teaching to manage bars. And as she said, she was managing a bar advertising people frequented. And that's what lured her into the dark art of manipulating people's minds. And, and the reason I was working there was because I got cheap rent down the road. You know, mm. that's just how life kind of works out. And then Andrew Denton and John Casimir created a TV show about advertising called The Gruen Transfer. They happened upon Dee Madigan and suddenly she was on television and discovering she had quite an aptitude for it. I did an audition for Gruen. I think I'm the only person in the world who did not actually put their hand up to audition. What happened was my boss at the time auditioned for the pilot. This was like right before it even started. And they needed someone to do the pitch segment just, you know, for a, a test pilot episode. And he sort of dobbed me into that saying, Dee, can you just come along and do this? So I did. And then John Casimir rang up and said, can you come and audition, please? And I was like, oh, okay. So again, purely by luck, did I even get wow. on there? That's fantastic. Well, I'm glad that happened. It is. But then you look back at your whole childhood, you know, parents who have really pushed you to speak well, to uh, do a lot of public speaking at school, all those kind of things that they valued, you know, come back to pay now so many years later. And you mm. think, God, well done, parents. Good on you. Thanks to these parents. Um, <laughs> question four, what will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? The only thing, and I was thinking about this the other day because I was thinking about dying because I'm always thinking about dying because I'm a complete hypochondriac. Um, and I just thought, you know what? 
if I died, the only thing I want to see is to see my children grow up, I think, because my mum, well, both my parents died before all of us had hit 18. And that's sort of tough. And I think for me, it's just like, do you know what? If I can just live until the youngest one is 18, in terms of everything else, do you know what? I'd be, I just feel like I've really lived my life. I, I do work that I absolutely love. I, you know, get to do a TV series. I've written a book. I've traveled the world. I have amazing friends. So in terms of anything else, I'm pretty satisfied. Mm. I think I'm incredibly lucky. That's... I was going to say blessed. And then I remember I don't believe in God. So I thought I'll just go lucky instead. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 really good. So just get to get to that the youngest hits eighteen, and then you you're done. Then I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Question five: Who is the person who most influenced you, and how? Um, there, there was probably a couple. Probably my mum because um she really got that unconditional love thing sort of happening, and she was quite. Um, she never had a lot of rules with me, but there was certain rules. It was things like never lie to me and never hop in a car with someone who's been drinking. That was literally the only rules I ever remember. Mm. And because there was only two rules she gave me, they were ones I never broke. Yep. So it kind of it kind of made me realise that, that, you know, when you treat children like this, you know, intelligent people, you might get a good response from them. So there was that. And then there was my school principal. I went to... Um, Loretto Turek, which is, of course, why I'm such a goddamn fucking lady. Mm-hmm. Um, but the principal of the school was Sister Deirdre Roll, who was an amazing, amazing woman. Even though, you know, she was a nun, she was she really encouraged critical thinking about so many things. And um, it, we, we caught up, um, she's dead now, but we caught up about a year or two after school finished just for wine and pasta because nuns do like to drink a lot. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, she said, you know what, I always hoped that you had a calling. I'm like, <laughs> kidding and she said no I just I thought anyone who argued as much against the Catholic Church as you secretly must have a calling I'm like no no <laughs> she was just a, a phenomenal person for, for I guess keeping me in Catholicism for much longer than I probably would have been just because yeah. you saw some really good people doing some really amazing things and and from a feminist point of view these women were fairly spectacular you know they all had master's degrees <laughs> they, mm. they thought Vatican II was wrong on pretty much every decision, and they were pretty vocal about it. Oh, and so, yeah, say, they sort of such yeah, a, such a conflict great. being being you know that intelligent and, and and that educated, but in that system. It, it is, but but in a sense, they kind of just did their own thing. I think Loretto nuns were a little bit like Jesuit priests in that they kind of ran their own race a little bit because oh. they were such a highly educated order they just sort of didn't fall in line and that sort of worked for them i think just with your mum and and the, and the two rules it really is a lesson in clear messaging isn't it yes yes and she always had twenty dollars under the doormat for a taxi like if i was ever stuck somewhere and she always just said you know just use it i will replace it there will never be questions asked wow that's but, great what a what a but, what a woman yeah, it was good. And so it was also like, you know, when when my friends at 16, 17, sneaking out to pubs and things like that, you know, out windows and things like that, mum always dropped me off. <laughs> you were going to go anywhere. And again, she said, I'd rather know where you are. Yeah. You, know, I don't, you know, and again, I don't want you lying to me. So, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was really, really good. That's fantastic. Maybe she knew you well because she knew herself. Well, she maybe... Probably. <laughs> yeah. Question six. When was the last time you cried and why? Um, oh, probably 
yesterday about just some um, <laughs> trying to do my tax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that does it for me. It's like, oh, my God, I know how much. I look, I cry fairly easily. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yesterday doing my tax. Just got you. Question seven, what is your current state of mind? Right at this very moment, I'm pretty tired. It's the end of the year. And when you've sort of got three small kids and you're running a business and you're living on planes, it's, it's quite exhausting sometimes. You feel like you're dropping balls. Because at the end of the year with schools, they have, you know, not just carols by candlelight and a school concert and this and that. And you're like, oh, ah. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually having a four-day weekend with a bunch of school friends, some of whom I've been friends with for 38 years. So we're going away on a houseboat to Mildura for four days. So that's oh. kind of um, sort of starting to get excited about that. That's, that's fantastic. Question eight is, what do you consider your greatest achievement? I would have to say, and it sounds really corny, but um, my children, because they're really good people, like they're funny and, and, and a bit naughty, but very decent, and I, I like them enormously. In terms of career, I'd have to say the 2015 Queensland election, because that was pretty bloody good. Wow, so tell me about that. I was the creative director on it, um, which means I did all the advertising, all the social marketing as well, the, you know, the social media marketing as well as the digital, as well as all the TV and all the radio. Um, and we also got to do a lot of the union campaigns as well. And um, it was, um, you know, no one thought we could do it. And to be honest, I think that we didn't think it was doable, but we thought we'd give it a red hot go. And just to see a campaign fall into place, just, so simply and perfectly, just everything kind of melded together. We, we knew that if we could get asset sales from it was sitting on the number, the fifth most important topic in people's minds. If we knew if we could get it up to number one, we were in with a shot. And we managed to, and we just did. We did a lot of digital work on micro targeting, swinging voters, and stuff like that. That was really interesting because you know it was stuff that hadn't been done before, and that was um that was a pretty good feeling indeed. You you had done elections before, hadn't you? Yeah, I had um that was. Actually, my sixth or seventh, I've done four by-elections and two state elections, and I was also creative director on the last Labor federal election. So my first election, of course, was the 2012 Queensland election, which was heartbreaking. But the thing is, I, I did learn, you actually learn far more from a loss than you do from a win, and I probably spent the four years in between rewriting, rethinking, looking at every possible angle in, and it made me a far better um, campaigner than before. I mean, I read those, uh, uh, you know, I read Double Down and, and Game Change and things like that, and you, I just realised how, what a quickly changing landscape elections really are. Yeah, well, it used to be, you know, even Australians used to give bad, bad government to second go. Mm. Now that's not the case. The volatility of the voters is extraordinary. So um, so you can't just sit back after you've won one and, you know, and think, well, I've at least got another term. You don't. So the problem with that, of course, is governments then get um, into that mindset of really short-term thinking because they're literally thinking to the next election, whereas before they could comfortably look at eight years. Mm, incredible. And it must be so exciting. Oh, it's, yeah, it is. It's, um, it's, I mean, it's exhausting. It's, but it is the most, for someone like me, you know, because it's my two passions is politics and advertising, to combine the two is the best, the best fun. Yep. Um, question nine, Dee, who would who'd you want on your side in a battle and why? 
any of my girlfriends. <laughs> you know, it's, it, that's um. I think the older you get, you end up with I think probably a smaller circle of friends who are much tighter, and, and they're the people I depend on. You know, the most for things there that, that you know that for for everything. And I know that if I was in a battle, they'd be the first ones. So, I'll you know. <laughs> Mm. They'd help me hide the bodies. Yeah, and, and have, <laughs> have they um have they been friends with you for a long time? Um, some have and some haven't. I um I have got friends who I've been friends with, as I said, for you know over thirty years, and then I've probably got in the past ten years has probably two or three that are kind of new friends, but all but incredibly you know just so close. I think female friendships are incredibly close when they when you sort of get a good one um and the final question is what would you like your last words to be i had fun we have ignition sequence start short distance high impact five four three two all engines running 10 questions with adam joie big names great minds make yourself a cup of tea liftoff we have liftoff 